Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. But one of the realities of age is the increasing awareness that life doesn't go on forever, and whether it's the loss of a loved one or the realization of our own mortality, death is an ever greater part of our lives. So on that note, it is with great appreciation that I introduce our guest today, Dr. Christopher Kerr. Dr. Kerr is the CEO and Chief Medical Officer at Hospice Buffalo, and he has been documenting the dreams and visions of dying patients for years. Through his research, Dr. Kerr has come to the realization that end of life can be, and usually is, a time of great spiritual and emotional awakening. He's joining us today to share all about his work and his remarkable book, Death is But a Dream. This is such an important topic. I am thrilled to have you on the show. So welcome, Dr. Kerr. Oh, my privilege. Thanks for having me. Well, I would like to actually start out, uh, rather than getting into the book, which, of course, is such an important read, but uh, to talk a little bit about your own journey, because you trained as a medical doctor, and you write that you used to view death as a failure, but after you became uh, the, the medical chief medical officer at Hospice Buffalo, you totally changed your mind on that. So please tell us a little bit about your own journey into, into finding out more about the importance of death uh, dreams and visions. Yeah, certainly. I, I was not atypical for my time. I, was, um, uh, I have a Ph.D. and an M.D., and I was training in cardiology, so I was much more comfortable um, in the treatment side of medicine and uh, I actually just needed a part-time job during training to support my family and started working weekends at hospice and it was really the first time that um, I was at a loss as a physician when uh, it it was viewed as kind of treatment failure or futility and actually had to be present uh, and comfort somebody who was dying and it was during that time that I saw that um, my colleagues in nursing and pastoral care and music therapy all seemed to have a much greater appreciation for um, the other side of dying, which is the experiential piece of it, the subjective side. Um, so instead of viewing that in physical dimensions and organ failure, um, more understanding what the patient was actually um, going through uh, and experiencing. Well, and also I know a nurse kind of led the way but started it off for you. I believe her name was Nancy. <laughs> and also you yes. had a very special patient. So tell us a little bit about your own personal insights that you gained from, from these people. Sure. Uh, yeah, very early on, um, uh, you know, it was during a time when a lot of people were dying from complications of HIV, and we had a young man who was dying. And I thought that... Um, we could give him some more time with fluids and antibiotics, et cetera. And she didn't even look up from her charting and said, no, he's dying. I said, well, h- how do you know? And um, she said, well, be- because he's seen his deceased mother. And uh, I was just struck by that. And, of course, she turned out to be to be right. But then shortly after that, um, I had an experience that I've had many times since where I had a patient who was cradling uh, a baby, uh, and cooing the baby and mm-hmm. using a name. And her children understand, didn't understand the reference. And then her sister came in from out of town. And it turned out the boy who was named Danny had actually been her first child who was stillborn. And w- what was remarkable then and now 
um, is that um, it was so obviously therapeutic for her. Um, she felt connected. She felt loved. She felt put back together. Um, and it really inverted this whole notion of dying as just physical decline. Um, it's almost this paradox because she was she was spiritually, emotionally, um, she was very vivid and alive, uh, and most herself. Um, and just this this irony that you know her her physical wounds couldn't be cured at that point, but her her wounds for having lived um, were essentially being addressed. Wow, I, I knew I would get all sorts of truth chills, as they call them, goosebumps in this interview. But these things are so amazingly comforting, and not only to the dying patient, but for those who love them. And one of the things that struck me is you wrote in the book that the closer we actually come to death, the more frequently we find ourselves dreaming of loved ones who have predeceased us. And these de- these dreams and visions really tend to be especially comforting. So tell us a little bit about that phenomenon. Sure, sure. What's interesting in our work and why it's got such attention um, was there's nothing new. It's this has been described in the humanities, you know, throughout time and in, in, in many many cultures. Actually, in some cultures, it's a way to remain connected to the predeceased. Um, what's different in our work is we looked at it medically, not through a lens of the afterlife or religion. We just wanted to understand and capture the dying experience in their words, and we videotaped a lot of people. And what we did in our original study um, is we would we had a questionnaire and we would ask patients daily, um, uh, sometimes months before death, uh, what their experiences were. And so we had, we really worked very hard to quantify um, what they what they were telling us. And we you know we ruled out things like confusion. If you if you obviously were confused, you couldn't participate in the study. So we had people who were very lucid and on film, they look and sound like us. And just getting back to Nancy, who was able to prognosticate, it turned out Nancy was right. Um, as we followed patients, there's a dramatic increase in the frequency as they get closer to death of seeing, um, of having intense dreams and visions. And the most common theme um, is seeing the deceased, which is interesting because when we measured comfort on content, um, the dreams that gave the most comfort tended to be Actually, they were um, dreams of loved ones, whom, so that there's this built-in mechanism as you're getting closer to death, uh, there's a return of those who loved you, um, and they come back and they're overwhelmingly comforting. Well, and I, I've, there, you have a number of, of interview, patient interviews that are available. I believe it's on YouTube. But anyway, I've watched a number of them. And a lot of these patients, had I not known, because they were your patients, that they were dying, you wouldn't necessarily know that they were near death. But uh, you know, you so it's not like and, and children a couple too. weeks before you die. Yes, yes. Please go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, sorry, yes, the, 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 that was actually part of it. I, I originally did this, this is kind of interesting, I did this because I was frustrated trying to teach the importance of this to other doctors. Um, so I felt that there's all sorts of connotation around somebody who's the, ill, that they look different and sound different in their mind, they're confused and whatnot. So that's why the videotape. And it's kind of funny because the videotape ended up becoming, years later now, the basis of a documentary and a Netflix production. But it was really done for physicians, um, just to prove a point. But they do. They sound and look well, like and you. Well, and too, 
I can imagine, you know, you have to, the nature or if you're spiritual, you know, the universe or whatever it is that you believe in. Uh, but we, you know, that it doesn't have to be at the moment of death or two hours before you die. You kind of have a slow build up and a return, uh, you know, connection with these people. Yes, it's definitely a process. And as I mentioned, there's just this increase in frequency as you get closer to dying that you're increasingly comforted. Um, it, it's really quite remarkable. Well, and Dr. Kerr, one of the other things is that you also showed, uh, and I'm thinking in particular of one patient, I believe he had cancer in his neck. Uh, he did not necessarily have all comforting dreams. So tell us about some of the people who are trying to work out their lives at the, at the end of their sure. lives. Sure, it's really interesting. So it's, you know, people lie, die how they live. And um, uh, that was a gentleman named Dwayne who had a very tortured life. He was more in prison than out. Um, and he'd obviously had trouble meeting obligations, including fatherhood. Uh, in our original study, we were naive and we measured comfort on a scale, discomfort to comfort. And what we learned was about 17% of people had what they categorized as discomforting dreams, but what we missed was that sometimes those actually were the most transformative and the most meaningful. So in his case, um, he, he really was the sort of guy who couldn't afford to live with regret or look backwards. And in his dreams, he, at the site of his cancer, which was at his neck, he dreamt he was being stabbed by all the people he had hurt. Um, and he's remarkable to see uh, on video. But what happened because of that is that he had, a, he had this reckoning where he, um, he really needed to reach out to a daughter and to apologize, mm -hmm. to embrace her, and to say that he loved her. So it's, it, the dream was distressing, in, in, it, 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 consistent with how he lived, but it really couldn't have had um, any more meaning. And he kind of got through, through the back door, but he got to a better place, um, which involved a lot of forgiveness and love. Um, so it's very hard just to view them as discomforting. Well, and another woman that uh, I, I haven't seen the video of her, and I don't know if there actually is one available, but the woman who didn't know how to love because her own life had been so difficult. Oh, she's remarkable, Doris. She's actually, that's a separate book about, um, she was in a Ferdinand institution in Massachusetts where they put children with various disabilities, um, but also um, uh, also people who had behavioral problems and she was taken from her home uh, a life of, of of abuse and neglect and she actually ran away Th this became an investigation in Massachusetts it was led by Ted Kennedy it became a book and Steven Spielberg actually mm. bought the rights to it so she had never loved and um, and she had trouble mothering she's as she says in the book she says I watch people kiss on TV but I don't understand it I don't feel it and um, in her dreams, she's, she's finally freed. She was sort of kept in bad relationships um, economically and, and whatnot. And in, in her dreams, she's freed. But in the end, um, there was a man later in her life who actually loved her. And he comes to her in her dreams and he says, you know, I, I love you. And for the first time, she understood that she was loved unconditionally. Um, so in the end, again, her, her, she, she, her, the injury that she carried with her was more or less addressed. Oh, Dr. Kerr, well, uh, thank you for sharing these stories. I just want our listeners to get an idea of 
the breadth and the depth and the real emotional impact of your book because whether you know you're facing your own mortality like I said or you recently lost a loved one or you lost a loved one a while back it's a very profound and deeply comforting book so what as author what I know you mentioned that you began to, uh, your whole journey uh, to uh, educate other physicians but now as an author what do you hope your readers can take out of this book well, I, I, I was really holding the wrong end of the stick because when I published this in the medical journal, I never received a single reply in the, from the medical community. But what happened was after a couple of years, it ended up in the New York Times, Huffington Post, et cetera, then it went around the world. And the responses have been from the non-medical community, which is interesting because there's such a, a disconnect between the, those who provide the care and those who, what, those who receive the care. And I think what's, what's interesting is there's a better story. And a lot of our work is actually on the bereaved. Um, a lot of, we have two studies on the bereaved. And basically what helps the patient helps the loved one. And I hope that um, it provides some comfort um, and, and, and really reframes dying in a different paradigm that's more than just, you know, suffering that we witness or the loss that we feel. Um, you know, in the end, well, for many did, people, it actually affirms life. And I did want to make sure I realized I hadn't mentioned it before, but the subtitle of Death is But a Dream is Finding Hope and Meaning at Life's End. And I think we can, all of your readers will definitely find this in your remarkable book. So I also want Thank to you. let everybody know you have presented an extremely well-received TED Talk. So where can we go to find out more about you, your work, view your TED Talk, and all sure. the great work you've been doing, Dr. If you just Kirk. type um, my name, Chris Kerr, K-E-R-R, uh, TED Talk, that'll pop up. Um, there's an author site, drchriskerr.com, and the book is called Death is But a Dream, and it's available through Penguin now um, on pre-sale, and it comes out on February 11th. Well, congratulations, and again, thank, thank you, you so much. Uh, before we go, though, I just want to know, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? No, I, 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 other than that, I, I, I really hope that this um, redefines um, dying in a different way for people, and, and they find comfort in the book. Well, I certainly have. It's, it's an important work, and I can't thank you enough for spending your time with us. Thank you very much for having me. And I urge each of you listeners out there, please check out Dr. Kerr's book, Death is But a Dream. Uh, you're going to be reading accounts that are going to give you and those you love great solace, especially when dealing with these important issues facing death, whether it's our own or those of who we love, and making that final transition. This book is going to help enlighten and inspire you. And, of course, we know those times can be difficult. So I totally urge you to check out Dr. Kerr's website and this remarkable book. And until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.